Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's You know that this summer I've been preaching towards Highland's vision for 2028 to build up the next generation, to raise up disciples of Christ, young people, and to mature disciples of Christ. Well, today you're going to get to hear a little testimony about that from one who grew up here at Highland, who is shaped and formed and built up by his parents, by his ministers, and by one person from Highland, just a person here who took him under his wing and poured into him for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. This is Josh Liao, and he's been off at Pepperdine for the last four years, and he studied Bible there, did a double major in Bible and pre-med, and in just a couple weeks, he starts medical school here at UT. He's came back home, but I asked him if I could get him to preach before he starts studying all the time. So I made him study before he starts studying, and uh, he's going to come and share this morning with us, and so Josh, why don't you come up here? I want to pray over you and then ask you to teach the word to us, brother. God, I'm thankful for my brother, Josh. I'm thankful for the many who poured into him here at Highland, many who've poured into him at Pepperdine and elsewhere. I'm thankful for his parents who first modeled the faith to him. And I'm thankful for all those who've discipled him. God, I pray right now that you would open up your word to us through Josh, that you would pour out your spirit on him, and that you would say what you would have said in this moment so that we would hear a word from you. I pray this, God, in the confidence we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, Highland. Man, it's good to be back, huh? It's been, been a few years. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Josh Leal, like uh, Eric just mentioned. I just graduated from Pepperdine University over in the beautiful beaches of Malibu, California, and I recently moved home. And you know, one of the best things about coming home is seeing familiar faces right? Nothing more comforting than seeing a familiar face. In fact, last week, the first Sunday back after months away for a while, of course, who do I see besides the man, the myth, the legend, Buster Clements himself, as I walk into church, the first, very first person I see. And I was thinking to myself, I'm surprised that this guy hasn't grown a few more gray hairs. You guys must not be working him hard enough, huh? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Buster is a national treasure. We must protect him at all costs. And of course, there's Donnie, the Donnie Llama. Whenever I see him, within five seconds, it's like a bear hug. And it's, again, the most comforting thing. You know, those two guys, they were my youth ministers since the very beginning. Um, and they've played a very large role in my life at HYG, um, training and discipling the next generation. But particularly, I want to talk about HYG for a little bit. You know, I've, since I've been gone, Ted and Hannah have joined the team. And I would dub them as the dream team. As you've heard, teamwork makes the dream work, and HYG is the dream. It's the best. You know, since I've been off at college, I've exchanged countless stories of what my life was like before Pepperdine, what my youth group was like. And at Pepperdine, I've talked about youth group memories with a bunch of different people, and I've come to the completely unbiased opinion that HYG is the best. We are elite. There's no one that comes close. 
You know why? Because we spend the whole summer doing the most fun things, learning about God along the way, of course. Time trips, power hour, camp, the best week of the year. It's nothing like it. The time that I get to spend with all the people around me or that I used to spend with the people around me, those times turn into friendships and those friendships sometimes turn into lifelong friendships. I want to tell you a little bit about the impact that HYG has had on me. You see, there were some seeds that were planted there that are still continuing to sprout. Let me tell you what I mean by that. See, the junior and senior year of high school, I had the privilege of meeting in a small group once a week with Colin and Cole, my, my good friends right there, and sometimes Ryan, sometimes Jackson, you guys might know him. But we were led by this one young fellow by the name of Alex Guy. If you've met him, if you know of him, you might think of him as the guy who peaked in high school baseball. He loves giving a little practice swing. He's going to beat me up for that one. I, I know for sure he's waiting in the crowd. He's going to beat me up. But I want to give you a glimpse into what our small group looked like because it was very impactful on me. At the very beginning, Colin, Colin, you guys remember this. We had this little thin book called Authentic Manhood. He had us going through it. We were 16-year-olds. We didn't know a lick about manhood. And I probably still don't know a thing about manhood, but Alex sure does. All right, well, fast forward a year and we start getting deeper and deeper and into scripture. And he had this one phase that he was obsessed with this thing called the Bible Project. The Bible Project is essentially a video series that gives you historical and contextual background, basically a survey across all of scripture. So he was having his theologian phase then. And of course, what does he do? He has a little whiteboard that he brings to small group. And he would teach us, he'd write with a little marker and say, hey, this is uh, the period of the Old Testament. You got to remember these years, the prophets. I think I remember the exact year that the temple fell because he had us remember that. You see, for me, it was interesting because I went off to college and became a Bible major. But for some of us in the group, one in particular, he struggled with alertness. <laughs> he had a bad habit of falling asleep. Now, I won't tell you who it was, but his name started with a C. So it's either Cole or Colin, you can take your pick. Again, I'm not going to tell you who you, I'm not going to tell you who it is. But those memories and, and those experiences that I got to spend time with the people that I loved, learning about who God was and learning to love God even deeper. Over time, I came to know that as discipleship. It was a word that Alex would use. And at the time, I didn't even realize really what I was getting myself into, that I was living this concept called discipleship. And so this morning, I want to share with you something a little more personal. I could talk about those memories forever, but there is this one particular biblical account of a story of a, of a relationship that speaks significantly to me. Uh, it's the relationship of Paul to Timothy. It's this beautiful image of discipleship that we get. And I think because of my own relationship with Alex and the ways that he cultivated relationships with Colin and Cole in the same way, I think those relationships are anchored by this model of discipleship that Paul exemplifies to Timothy and vice versa. So that's what I want to get into with you all this morning. It's going to be a brief survey of first and second Timothy, because those are the letters that Paul writes to Timothy. So the best way that we can kind of get a glimpse into what that relationship looked like. In 62 AD, Timothy was a young man ministering to this new church in Ephesus. Now at the time, Ephesus was a center of trade. A lot of people coming in and out a lot of different influences in the area. It's much like our world today. A lot of potential distractions for young Christians. So as Timothy is seeking to lead this new community of believers, sometimes he perhaps needs a little bit of guidance. And of course, Paul, this guy who has spent now years ministering and has a lot of experiences with building up new generations of Christians. 
meets this young man, Timothy, and says, ah, I think I got a little bit to offer to him. I want to take him under my wing. And so over the next few years, between 62 and 67, we get these two letters that help us to see what is going on between Paul and Timothy and the ways that Paul encourages Timothy. Just a little bit of framework, uh, since I don't have time to go through all of the texts. I found a good old Max Lucado book that offers some themes on 1 Timothy, and here's what he has to say. Max Lucado says, the faith held by the church should be manifested in the behavior of the church. There's accountability among the church. Let me say that again. The faith held by the church should be manifested in the behavior of the church. There's accountability among the church. So here's what I'm hearing in terms of themes of what Paul is passing along to Timothy. He's saying this, look, man, to build up the church, you got to first build up the people in the church, right? To build up the church, you got to first build up the people in the church if you want it to sustain for generations to come. Moving on to 2 Timothy, Paul says, Oh, this is, again, this is a theme. I'm thinking Paul says this, but it's just kind of a connotation of what he says. He says, the gospel of Christ is worthy of our full commitment. The life of faith we live will find its rewards in the kingdom of God beyond this life. Again, a theme, but I think one thing that Paul does particularly well, especially in all of his letters to all of his different audiences, he's good at helping whoever he's writing to see the big picture. The gospel of Christ is worthy of our full commitment. Imagine he's writing these ideas to Timothy, helping him see the bigger picture. A lot of Paul's letters kind of go like this. He starts with a little bit of praise to God, of course, and then he encourages his audience, of course, and then he points out something, you know, perhaps that the congregation or audience he's writing to needs to hear. Maybe a little bit of guidance, a little bit of tweaking, advice, encouragement, additional encouragement. Well, I think in this particular case with Timothy, He's saying something that Timothy needs to hear. Perhaps Timothy doesn't know it, but Paul as the mentor knows that he should hear it. I'm often reminded of those times when I was younger. I have a younger sister. She's also at Pepperdine. She couldn't be here with us today. Um, but she, she and I, we get along pretty well. And there were times when we were younger when we'd sit there minding our own business and then we would hear a little buzz. Like you listen real closely. It's like, it's like an annoying fly buzzing in your ear. Then you listen a little closer. And then you, you figure out, it's in fact, not a fly. It's my dear mother telling me to do this, do that, reminding me to do this, do that. And I, I joke about this with her. But now since I've grown up, it's no longer a buzz. It's like music to my ears. I love hearing my mom talk. Because most of the time, mom is right. If not all the time, mom is right. I think in a similar capacity, you know, Paul says something to Timothy here that Timothy perhaps isn't expecting or even knows that he needs to hear, but Paul knows that this is what young Timothy should hear. So let, let's get into it. Let's see what the text says. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. And actually in this translation, it says Paul's charge to Timothy. This is near the end of the letter. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you hear Paul encouraging Timothy? Right off the bat, he offers this image of what the faithful believer looks like. He says, 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And then he gives Timothy a reminder of why we pursue the faith. He says, fight the good fight of the faith because you were called to eternal life. And of course, he reminds Timothy of God's sovereignty. God alone gives life to all things. And then he leaves Timothy with this charge. Keep in mind, this is the end of the letter. He charges Timothy to keep in step with all these things, a reminder of the bigger picture of what Timothy is pursuing and what he's passing along to his own ministry. I don't know about you, but if Paul said that to me, he'd have me ready to run through a wall. And this is like pep talk at its finest. But as it comes to be, as some of us know, discipleship and ministry, it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's hard. Actually, I would dare to say Paul knew that it wasn't a possibility that ministry and discipleship would be hard. It was a certainty. So that's why he writes the second letter to Timothy five years down the line. Now, by this point, the Roman Empire has begun persecuting Christians at a higher level under Emperor Nero. So if you're a new Christian, you're probably living in fear. But the stakes are even higher if you're a young leader like Timothy trying to lead a group of Christians. And Paul knows this. Not even that, Paul is probably on his deathbed. This is his last letter to Timothy. He's in his last Roman imprisonment. He knows that his, his, his end is coming and it's time to finally pass the baton on for good to Timothy. So this is a very crucial, I think it serves as a key passage to how we understand discipleship. He passes the baton along to Timothy. He says this, starting in Second uh, Timothy chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded and now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us is not one of timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. Let me ask you, can you feel the weight of the relationship with Paul and Timothy there? He says, Timothy, my beloved child. Can you feel it? Not only that, he continues to offer Timothy support through prayer. He reminds Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And in fact, this is a cool thing about discipleship. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street because Paul himself is encouraged. He says, Timothy, I long to see you. I know that I will gain some joy from that. Timothy, I long to see you. It's a two-way street. But here we get to a very important part of Paul's message to Timothy. He acknowledges Timothy's mentors that came before him. He says, the faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, right? It wasn't just me. There were people that came before you and this is something that you should hold on to. It takes a village to raise a disciple. At this point, I must acknowledge the Buster Clemens in my life, the Donnie Stovers in my life, the Derek Molinixes in my life, the Jeff Wallings and so on and so forth. So many who have laid hands on me. And of course, my dear parents from the very beginning, it takes a village to raise a disciple. All right, so now as we get to the final part of this key passage, 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Jake Nichols, you're in the crowd. You know how much this passage means to me. It was the first passage that I preached on ever. And I think it serves as a key pillar to my life and what a privilege it is to get to testify to its power this morning. Paul writes to Timothy this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For the spirit God gave us is not one of timidity, but one of power and love and self-discipline. Paul offers this imagery of fire compared to the spirit that lives inside of us, that lives inside of you, as something that keeps going and testifies. It's the love for God inside of us, the spirit compares it to a fire. What do we know about fires? You gotta keep adding to it to keep it going, right? I believe that that very same flame that Paul was fanning inside of Timothy all those years ago is the same flame inside of you, inside of us. I'm taken back to one of my favorite college memories. Over the course of four years, once a year, I would go with um, a group of guys, we would go camping in Joshua Tree National Park. Now, when I was younger, my dad used to tease me that there was a tree named after me and I never believed him. Until my freshman year of college, when I finally got to go to Joshua Tree National Park, there were some younger guys uh, at Pepperdine, Pepperdine students who invited me and some of my buddies uh, to go on this camping trip and it would turn to a tradition. But what do you do when you first get to camp? You build that fire. So a couple guys would get there early and start building the fire and throughout the night, they would keep adding wood to the fire, fanning the flame so that it would continue on throughout the night. And while we were literally fanning a flame there, one of the best parts on the first night of camp every night, we would gather around that fire. And the older guys, the seniors, they would pass along their, their life advice. And a lot of times it was spiritual advice and guidance and wisdom. So me as a young freshman, who's fresh off of this two-year discipleship, sort of small group with Alex and, and my buddies, something that I wanted to be a part of. I knew that that was what was gonna give me life. So over time, as I go through college, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, until recently I just graduated, but this last year, I was one of the, the seniors offering my little bits of spiritual guidance and how to continue pursuing the faith throughout college. I can say with confidence that I wouldn't have been there and I can say with confidence that I wouldn't be here today without the work of Alex Guy and all those mentors that came before him. It's actually almost six years ago to the day when Alex approached me for the first time and said, hey man, you wanna do this small group Bible study with Cole and I? We added Colin along to the mix later and a few other guys here or there. It was in the crossing after a night of praise, super casual, Breeshan's probably all sweaty. He's got the whole crowd fired up. I didn't know it then, but that very moment, changed my life. It put me on a trajectory to be who I am today. And all the life that I've lived and the life that I've given stems very much from that moment. And that's the power of discipleship. This is the first time in four years that I've been able to be in the same room as Cole, Colin and Alex since we all, we've all gone our separate ways off to college. So it really is a full circle special moment that I get to have those guys with me, those very guys that built me up, that are my pillars today, something special. By the way, I've now learned that, you know, after you go your separate ways, the only way you can see your friends is if one of them gets married. Thanks, Jake Stewart, for getting married last night. Got us everyone back in town. It was a good time. We had a great time. And also, I, 
Mr. Trent, he's beautiful, master of ceremonies, shed a tear. Before I uh, end off on this little segment about Alex, I got to tell you one last story. And I know he's going to beat me up for this one. See, he just had recently his second child, his firstborn son. So a few months ago, he called up Colin and Colin and I. He said, I want to name my son after you guys. But here comes a potential roadblock, right? There's one son and three mentees. So what do you do? Well, I, I'll tell you. If you have the pleasure of meeting Colin Alexander Guy, the newborn son, you tell his dad. Give him a little nudge, just like Paul gave Timothy. Hurry up and have that second son so Josh and Cole can have their naming rights. <laughs> now I tell you this story because I think it illustrates the weight of our relationship and fellowship and discipleship to one another. Can you tell that it changed my life? Can you tell that this is something that I'm passionate about? You see, there's nothing better than learning to love God alongside the very people that you love. So if you were to ask me why discipleship, I would say this. I wanna be a disciple because of those that came before me who showed me that being a disciple is what truly gives abundant life. Amen.